You're listening to a sermon preached at First Baptist Church in Farwell, Texas. We are committed to loving God, loving people, and going into the world to share the gospel. We pray you find this message both challenging and encouraging. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, we're in our uh, 11th week of this series uh, looking at His church. Uh, God, this week, I want you to notice, I want you to recognize uh, in our text that God desires a pure church, not a perfect church, but God desires a pure church growing to perfection. There will be one day when His church will reach perfection, and that is the day when Jesus comes back and takes His bride home. God desires a pure church. We're not a perfect church. We're a church filled with sinners, every single one of us. Acts chapter 5, we'll get there here in just a moment. But, you know, kids like to play play pretend, right? Like, I can remember when my kids were growing up, my youngest son um, loved the movie Lord of the Rings. And, um, And there was many times... When we would play pretend, we would play Lord of the Rings. And I don't re- remember the, the characters, but I was never one of the good guys. Um, I would, I would in, in incredible, awesome fashion, jump off the house onto the trampoline to where my youngest son was at, and he would have this six-foot, 100-pound sword, a.k.a. stick from a tree out of the backyard, and he would, you know, chop me to pieces and destroy me and go on and do whatever the Lord of the Rings things did. He loved to play pretend. My oldest son, it was baseball, um, and, and it was always the bottom of the ninth of the World Series, and, and uh, if he was batting, I was the pitcher that was about to get the walk-off, about to pitch the walk-off home run. Uh, I, I never got to be the, the batter who hit the walk-off home run. If I was ever the batter, he was the pitcher that was about to strike out in the bottom of the ninth, uh, and he was striking me out for them to win the game. Kids love to play pretend. I remember when I was a little boy, my, my middle brother wanted to be a lawyer. And so oftentimes we would play court, uh, and, and we were at my grandparents uh, this, at this one uh, time, and we were out on the out on the back patio, and, um, and he had talked my granddad into being uh, a criminal, and my granddad had robbed a bank. My older brother was the jury, and I was the judge, and my middle brother was the prosecuting attorney. And as I was sitting in the judge's seat, which was probably a lawn chair uh, with a um, a TV tray in front of me. I don't remember, remember all the details, but there was stuff there. My brother was, my granddad was sitting next to me, and my brother was berating him for robbing a bank and, and just, I mean, just in his face. And here we, I, I lost the pretending story, and I started crying. And as a judge, I set my granddad go. I just said, like, I've got the freedom. Yeah, you're free. You didn't do it. I know you're not guilty. Kids love to play pretend. Oftentimes, it doesn't stop at childhood. A lot of times as adults, we like to play pretend. Oftentimes, we play pretend to impress people that, to be honest with you, we don't even like, right? Oftentimes, we play pretend, and we will see that in the story of Acts chapter 5 this morning. Uh, Acts chapter 5, if you will, turn there with me. Let's read it through one time, then we'll come back. And you remember, this is right on the heels of, of Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through, or 30, yeah, verses 32 through 37, when, when we see the, 
the beauty of the church in its, in its very young stage, a glorious time <clears throat> of the body of Christ. And right on the heels of that, it starts with this, this contrasting word, but, chapter 5, verse 1, but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property However, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Look at what he says in verse 4. Peter goes on, wasn't wasn't the land yours while you possessed it? And And after the land was sold, wasn't the proceeds of the land at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to people, but to God. Now, it's very interesting. Here, Dr. Luke, oftentimes, Luke is very detailed in his writing. When you think of the gospel of Luke, it's the most detailed of all of the gospels. Luke normally, in the rest of Acts, is is very detailed, but he leaves out some uh, some details here, and we have to make some assumptions based on the other parts of Scripture of what's going on here. Look at verse 5. When he, Ananias, heard these words, Ananias dropped dead, and a great fear came on all who heard. Young men got up, wrapped his body, carried him out, and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Isn't it interesting? Can you, can you imagine the, the weight of what is about to happen? She's, she's, she's coming in, like, why is Ananias taking so long at, at church? I mean, he's, he's been there three hours. She, she walks in, she has no clue that her husband has died. He's already been buried. And she walks in, not knowing what happened. Verse 8, tell me, Peter asked her, Did you sell the land for this price? So here we begin to see what's happened. Ananias has has come to to Peter, to all the apostles, and he says, we have sold the land, and this is the price, and we're giving it all, which is not the truth. Peter asked her, did you sell the land for this price? Yes, she said, for that price. Then Peter said to her, why? Why? Did you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband. What? (laughs) Excuse? What? Can you imagine as this is hitting her ears, what's going on in her mind? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband. She doesn't even know this yet, that her husband's died. No, no, she missed the funeral. Her husband's died. He's been buried. Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door. And they will carry you out. Instantly, she dropped dead at his feet. When the young men came in, they found her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Well, what an understatement. Verse 11, look, then great fear came on the whole church. You better believe it did. Right? Then great, mega fear. Fear came on the whole church not only on the whole church, but on all who heard these things. Father, will you teach us from your holy word what it is you'd want us to see this morning? God, help us to see the truth and obey the truth. It's in your son's precious and holy name I pray. 
Amen. Last week, I made this statement, and it's a hard statement, but the greatest enemy and threat to the church today, as it was in the first century, is not persecution. That's not the greatest threat of the church. Persecution has always just fanned the flame of the church. Has, has, we've seen the, the church explode underneath persecution. It's not persecution. The greatest threat of the church is not persecution from those on the outside, but the hypocrisy of those on the inside. And that's a hard statement. That is a difficult statement to accept because there isn't a Christian in this room, hear me, from the pulpit to the pew, who has not at one time or another been a hypocrite. At one time or another, not, not one. And no one wants to think of themselves as an enemy of the church. No one wants to think of themselves as an enemy to the bride of Christ. No one does. That's why I believe this statement is so hard for us to, to accept. But it's true. But I, here's what I want to do. I, I, want to, I want to define hypocrisy. Because I think there's, there's probably a lot of definitions flying around in this audience this morning when I say the word hypocrite or hypocrisy. Here's my definition of the word hypocrisy. I want you to write this down. Hypocrisy is when a Christian's actions... Hypocrisy is when a Christian's actions or the cover of their actions are motivated by a desire to be noticed as more righteous than they really are. Let me say that again. A Christian's or hypocrisy is when a Christian's actions or the cover of their actions, and here's the key word, is motivated by a desire to be noticed as more righteous than they really are. Hypocrisy, now let's, let's, def, let's say what it's not. Hypocrisy is not. Hypocrisy is not a Christian who sins. You know, there's a lot of times I'm talking to people outside in the community, I'm inviting them to church, and, and there's, there's several reasons why someone might not come, but one of them, and you've probably heard them, is, is churches filled with hypocrites, right? You've heard it. You've all heard it. Here's what I want to ask you to do. Next time someone say, says, that, says that to you, ask them to define the word. If they define the word as Christians who sin, you'd say, absolutely. Would you like to join us? It's, it's, it's a, Christian, a, a hypocrite is not a Christian who sins. Hypocrisy is not a Christian. Let me take it even a little a step further than this. A Christian, a hypocrisy is not a Christian who struggles with sin. That's, that's not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is not someone whose moral compass isn't as strong as yours. Let me take that a step further. Hypocrisy, hypocrisy is not someone who has a stronger moral compass than you do. Let me give you one more. Hypocrisy is not someone coming to church whose sin is more noticeable than yours. That's not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is when a Christian's actions or the cover of their actions is motivated by a desire to be noticed as more righteous than they really are. So let's look at the text. Because if we're not careful, we will misunderstand this text. And we will think this text is about money. 
Here, I want, to, I want you to do this. If you don't mind writing in your Bible, write in the margin of your Bible, this is not about money. Underline it. Once, twice, three times. If you ever have a highlighter, highlight it. It's not about money. It is a story of a husband and wife who has a desire that is motivated to look more righteous than they really are. That's what the story is about. Ananias and Sapphira show us hypocrisy in the first century. First century church is experiencing immense generosity. You remember what's going on at the time that the, the, uh, uh, the, 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 the uh, harvest festival is taking place in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit is poured out on Pentecost. Thousands of people come to faith in Christ. At this time, there's several thousand, at least 5,000, probably six or 7,000 by this time. But at least we know for sure, at least 5,000 plus uh, women and children. Many of these people had traveled from multiple different nations, 15 different nations. They came to Jerusalem. They met Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They have accepted Him, not, not physically met Him, but by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the preaching of Peter. They've met Jesus Christ, and they have accepted Jesus Christ, and they're not going back home. They can't go back. They can't go back to their families. They can't go back to their jobs. And the church is birthed in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3. And we see this immense generosity where people recognize the needs of their brothers and sisters in Christ. And they say, I have a resource that I can sell. And and from the funds of that sale, I can give to these people in need. And so they would sell property. They would take it to the apostles' feet, give it to the church. And then the church would dispense it as there was need. Listen, this wasn't a command. There was not a command for the church, for people, for these Christians to go and sell their property and to give it all. There wasn't even a command for them to give it some, to give some. There wasn't even a command for them to sell their property. There was a need and people who are changed, people whose Christ is living inside of them, recognize a need, recognize a resource that they can have that they can give to meet that need. That's what's going on in the church. There is immense generosity going on. And on the hills of Barnabas, Ananias and Sapphira probably heard the, oh, Barnabas, you didn't, you didn't have to sell that land, but man, what a blessing you are, Barnabas. You're, you're an encourager. Thank you so much, Barnabas. They probably saw people patting Barnabas on the back. They probably saw people loving on in Barnabas, giving Barnabas appreciation. They wanted some of that. Let's be honest with one another. That's, that's appealing, isn't it? There, there, is, there is a desire inside of us to all be seen as Maybe a little bit more righteous than we are. Maybe because we're disappointed. We're not where we think that, that we should be. I've often said that. I'm 40 years old. 48, 40. <laughs> I'm 48. I just lied. I wanted to be younger than I really am. It just kind of came out. I'm 48 years old. And I often go, I should know this verse by now. You see, there's, we can't be too hard on Ananias and Sapphira. Because in all reality, there's a little bit of us in them. 
There's a little bit of desire. But here's, this is why we need to study this. This is why we don't need to skip over it. As much as I would have loved to have skipped over this story. This is why we shouldn't. Because what we see is that God is wanting to root the Ananias and Sapphira out of us. God desires a pure church. And he desires to root this out of us. Listen, the church, the first century church, they're experiencing this immense generosity. But often what comes with immense generosity is immense jealousy, right? Immense jealousy often finds immense generosity. Jealousy quite often, if not always, will lead to hypocrisy. And here we are, like thousands of others at that time, Ananias and Sapphira, They are riding the spiritual high of the church. Every single day, people were coming to faith. People, I mean, the church is just exploding, and they're riding that spiritual high, this surging of of Christianity through Jerusalem. And no doubt, the generosity of Barnabas has kind of infected them, and they want in on some of that. Look Look at verse 1. I want you to see the hypocrisy up close. But here's this name, man named, but on the heels of Barnabas, but a man named Ananias, which, you know what his name means? His name means God has dealt graciously. Isn't that interesting? Because we might look at, at Ananias and see what happens to him and go, ooh, that wasn't very gracious. But think about this. Here's the beginning of the church, the birth of the church. And, and, Judaism is filled with hypocrisy. Judaism is filled with people who Jesus looks at them and he says, you are nothing but whitewashed tombs. Oh, you look good on the outside, but on the inside you're just dead. You're a box of bones. And God is birthing his church. And the last thing he wants in his church is what? Same thing that the Jews have been doing. Pointing out the law to the people, but not following it themselves. Looking good on the outside, but on the inside, just dead man's bones. And so we might think of this, be, this would be odd, but how gracious that God did this to root out of the church the Ananias and Sapphira spirit. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. Notice the action, sold a piece of property. However, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge. There's a, there's a shared knowledge. She's not, uh, she, she's not uh, ignorant of what the plan has taken place. He is, he's talked her into this as well, or maybe they've both, we don't know all the details of this. They've just both, they're both in on this. And he brought a portion of it and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, here's why I want you to write down in your text, in your Bible, this is not about money. Because I want, you, I want you to see side by side, parallel, the comparison of Barnabas and Ananias and Sapphira. And I'm going to have it on the screen. I want you to look at Acts chapter 4, verse 37, and compare it to Acts chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Barnabas, you see on the left, he sold, uh, he sold uh, a field that he owned. 
Number one, that's the first action that Barnabas did. Number two, he brought the money. That's the second action. The third action that Barnabas did, he laid it at the apostles' feet. Three actions that Barnabas took place in. Sold a field, brought the money, laid it at the apostles' feet. Now look at Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of property. They kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge. That's the second thing. Third thing, brought a portion of it, just like Barnabas did. Number four, laid it at the apostles' feet. Same thing as Barnabas. And you might look at that at at first, and you might go, wait a minute, the only difference between Barnabas and Ananias and Sapphira, Sapphira is that Ananias and Sapphira, they kept a portion of it back. So this is about money. No, 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 it's not. They were never commanded to, to sell the land. They were never commanded to give any of it. And that's what we see Peter saying to him, at the, at the, in, in verses 3, 4, and 5. Watch. Look at verse 3. Ananias, Peter asked, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie? There's only one sin of Ananias. It's not holding back part of the resources from the sale of his land. He has lied to the Holy Spirit. And Sapphira does as well. We'll see that here in just a moment. Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Wasn't, here it is, watch this, wasn't it, it being the land, wasn't the land yours while you possessed it? And after the land was sold, wasn't it yours? Wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to people but to God. There it is. There we see the hypocrisy. They have taken the sale of their land And they have told the people, hey, guess what? How much we got for the land? We got $100,000 for the land. But Sapphira knows they got $120,000. Ananias knows they got $120,000. And they say to the people, hey, guess what? We're going to take all of the proceeds from the sale of our land all 100,000, and we're going to give them. You remember like Barnabas did? Remember like our buddy Barnabas? We're going to do the same thing. And we're going to give it all to the church. And so that they could, was that a good thing? Absolutely. Could that have been used? Absolutely. Could Could they have said to the church, we sold the land for 120,000. We're going to keep 20,000 for our own needs, and we're going to give 100,000. Would, there, would we even read about that in this story? We wouldn't. See, it's not, it's not about the money. It's not about the amount. It's not about them giving it all or giving it some. They pretended to be something that they weren't. They were, their actions were motivated to be seen as more righteous than they really were. And they didn't lie to people. They lied to the Holy Spirit. Verse 5. When he heard these words, as, as these words reached Ananias' ears, drop dead. Great fear came on all who heard. About three hours later, his wife came in. Watch, you begin to watch the cycle again. The, the, the lie, the pretense, the hypocrisy. Watch it again. Verse 6, men got up, wrapped his body, carried him out, and buried him. Verse 7, about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. 
I, I, um, I went back and forth in studying this, and I was thinking, what, what if Peter would have been a little bit more pastoral? <laughs> what if Peter would have said to, Anna, or to Sapphira, have you heard about your husband? Um, he, he told us that y'all sold the land for this amount. And, and hang on, before you say anything, um, he lied to the Holy Spirit, and, and he dropped dead. We've already buried him. Um, would you, would you tell us, what, what did y'all sell the property for? But Peter doesn't do that. <laughs> Peter goes straight after her. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Tell me, Peter asked her, <clears throat> did you sell the land for this price? She had a chance. She had grace. She had an opportunity. But yet, here we see the deception that is so deep, that is so deep inside Sapphira. Her willingness to be seen for something that she really wasn't, her, her willingness for her family, for her name to be seen for something that it really wasn't, is so deep. Peter asked her, is this what you sell the land for? Yes, she said, for that price. Then Peter said to her, here, here we see the sin again. It's the same sin. Why did you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Instantly, she dropped dead at his feet. And then here, then we see the fallout of it. We see that there's great fear. There is reverence. There is awe. There is respect. There is genuine phobia, fear of lying to the Holy Spirit of lying to God, of pretending to be something that you really wasn't. It, again, it hasn't, it's, it's not about money. It's about hypocrisy. It's about be, trying to be something that we really aren't. Listen, one of, the, one of the most common complaints about Christians is that we're hypocrites. And, and, and many of those complaints are valid, but most of those are not. I believe most of those are a misunderstanding about Christianity. Either way, no matter what, what they are, if they're valid or if they're a misunderstanding, we must do as a church body collectively and individually, we must do everything we can to avoid that label. We must ask God, God, would you root out the spirit of Ananias and Sapphira that is inside of me? We must do all we can to, to avoid that title. We have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to be honest with ourselves and with our church family. We have a responsibility to be honest with God. We have a responsibility to be honest to our mission field. I want to give you these three points, and then I'm going to close. Respond, write this down. Number one, point number one, responsibility to ourselves. Point number two, a responsibility to God. And then point number three, we have church is a body of believers. We have a responsibility to our mission field to avoid the title of hypocrite. Point number one, a responsibility to ourselves. We have a responsibility to ourselves. Integrity begins when we examine our motives. Integrity begins when we examine our motives. You know the definition of, of, of integrity, the best definition that I've ever heard is this, doing something even though even though you could have done the wrong and never gotten caught. 
choosing to do the right thing, even though you could have done the wrong thing and you would have never gotten caught. That is integrity. We must examine our motives. Are we facing the truth? Are we being honest with why we attend church? Are we being honest with why we serve, why we teach, why we give? Are we being honest? Are our motives pure? Or are we acting out of pride? Reacting out of an inner jealousy? Are we reacting in order to get favor from others? Oh, listen, I, I, I pray that we would I pray that we would plead as the psalmist pleads in Psalm 139, verse 23 through 24. Look at this verse. Psalm 139, verse 23 says this. Search me, God, and know me. Oh, God, would you, would you shine the, your, your holy and righteous light inside of, the, inside of all of the dark crevices of my heart? Search me, oh, God, and know my heart. Test me. And know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. I pray today that you will not leave this sanctuary without praying that prayer to God. Search me, God. I have a responsibility to myself. God, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. Know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. In other words, if there's something in, uh, um, if there's something offensive in me, oh God, would you lead me out of that into the everlasting way? We have a responsibility to ourselves. Number two, we have a responsibility to God. We have a responsibility to God. If we're going to avoid this title, Individually and collectively, we have a responsibility to God. Listen, when Ananias and Sapphira carried out their plan of deception, they lied to the Holy Spirit, not just the church. Not just the church. That lie far from the glory they sought cost them everything. They they thought they were going to go in and they were going to gain everything. They were going to gain the respect of the people. They were going to be liked like Barnabas was liked. They were going to be patted on the back like Barnabas was going to be patted on the back. They were going to be praised like Barnabas was going to be praised. They went in thinking they were going to gain everything. But they went out being carried by six men. They lost everything. Listen, hiding behind useless masks will only bring us misery. Listen, King David Listen to what King David says in Psalm 32. Hiding behind a mask is exhausting. It will drain every bit of joy out of your life. Look at, listen, listen to Psalm 32. Psalm 32, we're going to start in verse 3. Read 4 and 5, and then we're going to come back and pick up verses 1 and 2. Psalm 32, start in verse 3. Here's, here's David. Listen to what he says. He's talking about when he kept silent about his sin with Bathsheba. You know the story, right? When he kept silent about the sin with Bathsheba. Verse three, thir- verse, chapter 32, verse 3. When I kept silent, my, this is hiding behind a mask. My bones became brittle for my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained. As in the summer's heat, then, oh, then, 
<laughs> verse 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. He took off the mask. He didn't conceal his iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave, watch this, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Oh, you talk about like feeling like you have been held underwater for months and months and months. And finally, you've been let go and you just come up out of the, out of the water and it's... <gasps> You can breathe. That's what it's like when we remove the mask. It's what it's like when we stop concealing our sin and we stop acting like we're more righteous than we really are. Look at what he says in verse 1. How joyful. (laughs) See, covering up our sin robs us of joy, drains us of all our joy. How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and whose spirit is no deceit. How joyful. When we try to cover our sin, it robs us, it drains us of our sin. But when we uncover our sin, When we remove the mask, Jesus covers our sin. And joy, we're infused with joy. Joy comes back. Energy comes back. Desire to be around brothers and sisters in Christ comes back. A desire to forgive others who have harmed us comes back. A desire to be obedient to God comes back. A desire to read God's Word comes back. Oh, there's joy in our walk. Listen, we have a responsibility To ourselves, we have a responsibility to God if we're going to avoid this title of hypocrisy. And then third, we have a responsibility to our mission field. Last but not least, oh, definitely not least, we have a responsibility to our mission field. We're responsible. We're responsible to take the gospel to people who have rejected the gospel. We're responsible to take the gospel to people who have never heard the gospel. We're responsible to our mission field. And watch this. The collateral damage of hypocrisy is massive. Let me say that again. The collateral damage of hypocrisy is massive. You've seen it. You've heard about it. Maybe you've been the cause of it. It's massive. The shrapnel from our hypocrisy wounds people on the mission field. The people we're trying to reach, they're wounded because of our hypocrisy. We have a responsibility. If we're going to avoid this title, we have a responsibility to our mission field not not to destroy them with the shrapnel of our hypocrisy. Oftentimes, they're being destroyed from our hypocrisy, it paralyzes them from a desire to ever want to walk in to the church. We have a responsibility to ourselves. We have a responsibility to God. We have a responsibility to our mission field. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Romans chapter 12, verse 9, let love be 
without hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling. I love that word. Cling. Hang on. As if your life depended on it. Hang on. Cling to it. Cling to what is good. Oh, we have a responsibility. If we're going to avoid that title. And I want to avoid that title. And listen, I know, I know there's, a, there's a pull to, to want to be seen for something that we're not. We have that desire. And I, I want to, again, I want to be cautious of, I want to drop dead. <laughs> so I want to be super cautious. You follow, you follow me? We have a responsibility. Let's take that responsibility. And let's own it. I know I've been primarily talking to brothers and sisters in Christ. But listen, if there's anyone here this morning, and you're not sure about your eternity. As I was studying this story, I began to wonder if this isn't, if this isn't somewhat of a vision of what it's going to be like for people who say that they're saved, but they truly aren't when they stand before God. They stand before God just like Ananias and Sapphira stood before Peter. They thought they were going to gain everything. But the moment God's words hit your ear, if you're not saved, you will drop dead. You will spend eternity in hell. Listen. Don't leave here this morning. I don't say that. Last thing I want you to do is be feared into giving your life to Christ. That's not what I'm trying to do. I want you to know that you know that you know. And I can show you that through God's word. How you can know that you are saved. Don't wait like Ananias and Sapphira did to find out that you're not. Give your life to Christ today. For those of us who are believers, Oh, listen, would you, would you pray that God would root that out of us individually, that God would root that out of us corporately? Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. If you'd like more information about our church or have any questions regarding the sermon you just heard, we would love to hear from you. You can visit our website at www.fbcfarwell.org or send an email to info at fbcfarwell.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching FBC Farwell. It is our prayer that the sermon you listened to was equally challenging and edifying to your walk with Christ. Thank you again for listening and have a blessed week.